All right, Joshua chapter 1. Before we get into the actual chapter, let me set it up with this. uh, That uh, in the book of Joshua, there are some eternal theological values that we see fleshed out in the book of Joshua. One of those is the theological value and the truth that God is the God of Israel. They're his people. Uh, Exodus 6, Deuteronomy 4. 2 Samuel 7, Jeremiah 13, 30, 31, it all talks about this idea where God says, I will take you as my own and I will be your God. Um, that God enters into this covenant with the people that he chose. None of their doing preempted that. God just saw a people and said, you're going to be mine. Um, and he entered into a, a covenant relationship with them. A covenant is, uh, is a promise that is unbreakable. Um, and God chose to say, I'm going to be your covenant God, and you are my people, and I'm going to give you a land. And that promise that he made it to Abraham and all Abraham's seed and offspring, he reaffirmed in the time of the Exodus, and it's now going to be fleshed out in the book of Joshua. So one of the theological values we see in the book of Joshua is the, is the reminder and the truth that God is the God of Israel. We also see as a theological value and truth in Joshua that God is holy. God does not tolerate evil nor unconfessed sin. The Canaanites were driven out and destroyed from the land specifically because of their sin. The conquest of the promised land was put on hold and stopped at the battle of Ai because of the people's sin. And God will not bless until sin is dealt with, confessed, repented of. Um, and, and we see that over and over in the book of Joshua. Another thing that we see in the book of Joshua is a theological value and truth is that God is a God uh, of grace and that God's grace is not limited to Israel, though Israel is his people. It's not limited to Israel. All who turn, who are willing to turn from their sin and acknowledge him, are rescued by him, and blessed by him. Uh, we see that primarily in, in, in vivid color in the story of Rahab in Joshua chapter 2. Um, and so we'll look at that in a couple of weeks. But God is a gracious God. His grace is not limited to his people. It's given to anybody who will come to him. Uh, we see in the book of Joshua the, va- the, the, the theological value and truth that God is the God of creation. That all of creation is subject to his sovereign will and control. We see the drying up of the Jordan in the book of Joshua. We see the, the walls of Jericho uh, that, that, are, that are just miraculously just come down. We see this over and over and over in the book of Joshua. That God is the God of all creation. And he, he, everything on earth is under his sovereign control. And we see in the book of Joshua um, that God is the God of the universe. Not just the earth, not just the land, not just a people, but of the entire universe. It's one of those theological values and truths that we see in Joshua. And the words of the pagan, non-Jewish Rahab in Joshua 2.11. She says, um, 2.11, When we heard it, our hearts melted and everyone's uh, courage failed because you, because of you, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. He's a God everywhere. 
And so we see these theological truths and values all throughout the book of Joshua. They, they just come up in all these different places. And so um, as we go through the book of Joshua, look for some of these, these theological truths, these underpinnings that reveal who God is, his enormity, his power, his sovereignty, his control, his lordship. Um, if, 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 if you put a finger in Joshua chapter 1 and you go over to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy verse 31, uh, sorry, chapter 31 verses 7 and 8. Moses is, is, is at, on his last leg. He's just ready to die. He's on top of Mount Nebo overlooking the promised land. Uh, and this are, these are Moses' words in Deuteronomy 31 verses 7 and 8. Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Do those words sound familiar to anywhere else in the book of Joshua? Oh, yeah. Where? Um, down at 5, verse 9. 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. That whole section, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's, a va- there's, there, there's a very great difference between mo- what Moses told Joshua and what God tells Joshua. See if you can... Hear it as I read it. Verses 8 and 9. Well, let me start at verse... Let me start at verse 6. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. This is God talking to Joshua now. Moses is dead. This is God talking. Uh, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey uh, all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. What's the difference between what Moses told Joshua and what God told Joshua? Uh, the meditating on the word? You're knocking on the door, Charlotte. You're almost there. Uh, Read verse 8. What's verse 8 say? Someone read it out loud. Oh, do this say? Huh? Is that what it says? What's it say? Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Do everything in it. The difference is this, that God made sure to remind Joshua that Scripture is paramount. Moses said, lead well, be strong and courageous. God said, huh, hold on, let's not forget. Yeah, lead well, but make sure that Scripture does not depart your mouth. Pay attention to the word. Pay attention to scripture. See, sometimes, sometimes we forget about the priority of the word because we're focused on the activity of the moment. Sometimes we get so focused on what's the right 
choice, decision, action, activity, what do I do? And God says, hold on now. All that's important. But the only way you're going to know what the right decision, activity to do is, is if you first are constantly in the word. You don't depart to it from it from the right or to the left. It's constantly on your lips. God reminds Joshua. Moses said, lead well. God says, I want you to lead well. But the only way you're going to do that is if you keep the word, the priority in your life before you do anything else. So for us, this is how I understand it, let's not ever allow the activity of the moment nor the immediacy of a task to interfere with the priority of the word. This, this book right here has got to come first. And the only way this comes first in our actions is if it's already been placed in our heart. Okay? So... Two other significant things before we get into Joshua 1.1. At the end of Moses' life and at the beginning of Joshua's, Joshua's leadership, back to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 47. The, the, these are just little things that I picked up as I, was, as I was reading this. I thought these are important. And I actually have this verse on a post-it note uh, right here on my Bible. I wrote it out when uh, years ago I, I, I read that and thought that this is key. And I, I, I put it on, on my Bible as a post-it note, and now I've taped over it multiple times because I still haven't got my Bible rebound like Jim offered to do. So, uh, <laughs> but this, Deuteronomy 32, 47. They are not idle words for you. Talking about the law and God's word. They are your life. By them you will live long in the land. Scripture is not idle words that we may or may not choose to give attention to. Think about it. If you knew, without a doubt, what the key to living long and living well was, how attentive would you be to that key? Pretend like it's not a rhetorical question. If you, if you knew like this is the thing, this is the key to living long and living well, how attentive would you be to that key? So the only, now this is for me too, the only reason we're not attentive to the word of God because we don't really believe that it is the key to living long and living well. I don't know how else to, I don't know what terms to put it in. Uh, Psalm chapter 1. Verses 2 and 3. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. It is the key. Okay? The other thing, as I prepared and, and, and for this, at the end of... Joshua would have never stepped up in leadership had Moses not died. So, so it's important for us to understand some of what Moses said as he was dying to set Joshua up in leadership. Um, Deuteronomy 32, verse 25, the end of it. This, just, just one little sentence here that struck me. Your strength will equal your days. Translation. Here's, what, here's the translation of that. You will have the strength you need for every day you, fa you face. Your strength will equal your days. That's, that's Deuteronomy 33, verse 25b. 
Your strength will equal your days. Deuteronomy 33, 25b. The translation is, you will have the strength you need for every day you live. But, understand what it says. It doesn't say you'll have tomorrow's strength today. You won't have tomorrow's strength today. You'll have tomorrow's strength tomorrow. So don't grow weary today thinking you're worn out and can't face tomorrow because you're not there yet. Don't give up today because you can't imagine how hard tomorrow's going to be because you're not there yet. You'll have, if you're in Christ, strength for tomorrow. Tomorrow. Don't think that what you may face tomorrow is greater than who you will be tomorrow. I just thought about that the other day. I came up with that myself. I thought, that's a good sentence. <laughs> Don't think that who, what you'll face tomorrow is greater than who you will be tomorrow. Because you will be the one that is strong because your strength will equal your days. You'll have the strength to equal your days. So no reason for despair. No reason for worry. No reason to quit. You will have strength to equal your days. Some of you have had much worse days than I've had. I've had some bad days. And I've had some tomorrows that did not look very good. Some of you have had worse. But what I know by looking at you is your strength have equaled your days. And some of you might be thinking, I, I don't know if I can do tomorrow. Well, you can't do tomorrow today. But tomorrow you can. Because the Bible says, and like I say, if you got a good one, Deuteronomy 33, 25, B's in it. Your strength will equal your days. We're not going to ask Richard what his says because we're no no. It's not in mine. I did you? We could break into the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is Thy Faithfulness. Bright, bright hope for tomorrow. tomorrow. Absolutely. Well, it doesn't say B, it's just the last part of the sentence. That's all that means. That's okay. Chuck will get it on Audible. Yeah. yeah. Notes, just a couple notes. Please understand that Joshua had always been the follower, Moses had always been the leader. Just some random notes that I had about Joshua and Moses, okay? Here's what I know. Joshua had always been the follower. Moses has always been the leader. The manner in which you follow will be the manner in which you lead. Please understand that. The manner in which you follow will be the manner in which you lead. If you're a humble follower, you'll be a humble leader. If you're an arrogant follower, you're going to be an arrogant leader. If you're a faithful follower, you'll be a faithful leader. If you're an unfaithful follower, you'll be an unfaithful leader. If you're a gracious follower, you'll be a gracious leader. If you're a prideful follower, you'll be a prideful leader. And, and we saw last week how Joshua was just, Joshua followed well. And Joshua led well. Uh, and, and so, you know, if, if, if you ever have that, it, it, I, I'm going to tell you this much. If you've ever truly been a leader, you're probably not going to desire it a whole bunch anymore <laughs> once, you've, once you've carried that. Uh, but if you think you're better than the leader you're following, uh, just remember that if you're humble enough, you can learn from anybody. Uh, and if God wants to set you up as a leader at some point, he's pretty good at both positioning and timing. Follow well. Be patient, faithful, and honoring the person who is above you. I don't care what scenario you're talking about or any you're talking about. 
serve well, follow well, honor the leader over you, but in whatever area you're talking about, God is perfectly capable in both positioning and timing. Joshua followed with this attitude that I'm going to step into every opportunity I'm given and I'll trust God for the outcome uh, and the culmination of it. So, and we'll see that in the book of Joshua. God's really good at next man up. Moses out, next man up. God's not thwarted by all this stuff. So anyway, so that's just all, as I was, I was thinking about Joshua 1.1, all this stuff was kind of in my head, and so I thought I'd give you a little piece of my mind. <laughs> give my two cents. I don't have a lot of cents to spare, but there's, there's one and a half cents worth right there. Um, but that was all for you, so this one's going to, I'm going to charge you for. Joshua 1 verse 1. Joshua 1, verse 1. Uh, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, the announcement of the death of Moses. We cannot overestimate the importance of Moses to Israel. For 40 years, he was the religious, the domestic, the military, and the civil leader of the nation. Millions of people. There are a lot of links between Moses and Joshua. However, interestingly so, Moses um, garnered the title servant of the Lord more than any others. And the title servant of the Lord was only shared by three people in all of the Old Testament. Abraham, but by three other people other than Moses. Abraham, David, and the servant of the Lord as listed in Isaiah. Those three. And then there was Moses. And Moses is is the one most frequently referred to as the servant of the Lord. Thirteen times in the book of Joshua alone, and he's dead in the book of Joshua. Joshua in the book of Joshua was called um, the son of none. Ten times in the book of Joshua. We don't know anything about none. <laughs> Nothing. Seems appropriate. <laughs> uh, he was called Moses' aid throughout the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. It's only at the end of his life that he was called the servant of the Lord. Um, so as great as Joshua was, Moses held this title. Like we cannot overstate how important Moses was to the people of Israel. Verse 2, Moses, Jesus said, God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. Um, because of Moses' disobedience, he was not ever allowed to enter the promise. He was allowed to see it, but he wasn't allowed to enter it. And like I just said earlier, God's really good at next man up. L- listen to God's words. Hey, Joseph. Or Joshua. Hey, Joshua. Uh, Moses, my servant, yeah, he's dead. So get ready. It, now, with God, he obviously is, is, is completely... Um, Moses is completely you know, thriving and, you know, with the Father and eternity and all that, all that stuff. You know? so, it's, so it's not like God has lost him. But from the earthly perspective, God's like, okay, you're done with your assignment. Now I've got an assignment for you. Next minute, let's just go. Um, this reminds me 
that uh, that it's his work and it's his church and he's not thwarted by humans' transitions. Like God's just going to keep rolling. When our children's uh, director, Miranda, told us she was moving to South Dakota. That's a big hit. Uh, and the day that, that Joe got that job in, in Rapid City and we knew Miranda was moving, um, I have not been the slightest bit worried about the next leader for our children's ministry. In the past, that would not have been the case. In the past, I would have like, okay, how am I going to work this? How am I going to solve this? How am I going to work my magic and get someone in here? I got to make sure. Um, so what that tells me is that um, as immature as I am, I'm still, I'm learning. Wow. Uh, and God's word is preeminent. And so it's not about how am I, it's about who God is. And God is perfectly capable of both t- timing and, 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 and transition. And it's his church. He's got to worry about it. i got to worry about a thing. And so I'm not. And interestingly, on Sunday, this, the, this lady that Miranda had been kind of had her eye on for a while to do stuff came out of nowhere and said, you know, I, my husband and I have been thinking. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. But all I know, it's not my church. This is not my church. It's his, and he's got to figure it out. Okay, we'll try to you know, keep up with what he's doing best we can. But it's on his shoulders, not mine, and I'm thankful for that. And so this is where his people were. Hey, Moses is dead? All right, so let's get ready. Next man up. Or woman. Uh, I, I will give you every place where, you're, where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Um, the, the, the wording... Well, let me just read three, four, and five. Um, Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all of the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That wording is almost exact to the wording in Deuteronomy 11, verses 24 through 25. Um, which was God's words to his people way before Joshua ever stepped on the leadership. And, 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 and what, what the writer is doing is he's indicating to us that the work and what's happening in Joshua is the fulfillment of the promise back in the Pentateuch, back in the first five books. So all of this just says, look, God, God made a promise. He's going to be faithful to his promise. He's going to complete it. Don't worry about it. Remember how we talked about last week that they sent spies in the land to find out if it was a good land or not? They should be like, don't worry about it. The land flows milk and honey. God's, if it's bad right now, God's going to make it good as soon as we get in there. Um, that promise of Deuteronomy eleven twenty four is reiterated in verse 4. Here's, here's your territory is going to extend from the desert of Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, the great sea, all the west. Like, it's huge. Now, the complete fulfillment of, though this was the entrance to the promised land, the complete fulfillment of the geography of it wasn't until the reigns of King David and King Solomon. So it was such a huge promise, like it, it, God took his time to deliver it to him, but eventually, through the reigns of David and Solomon, then finally they start seeing the expanse of the deliverance of this promise. One thing that I know is that it seems as though that when God blesses his people, uh, that blessing is not quickly forgotten. It goes on for generations. God's blessing is so profoundly good. 
is not just blesses you, it blesses those far outside your grasp. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now that's the promise. The condition for that promise, the condition for that promise is what we're going to read in verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. Now he promised, I was with Moses, I'll be with you, I'll never leave you, forsake you. But there's a condition here. Okay, there's a condition. The secret to Moses' success was the fact that God's presence was with him. The secret to, to Joseph's success will be that God is with him. It's the secret of the church's success in our day. It's the secret of your success. That God is with you. Now, God with you. Look at the condition. Verse 6, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and courageous. Three times in God's charge to Joshua, God tells him, be strong and courageous. Later, when the people are responding to him in verse 18, the people tell him, look, just be strong and courageous. Like they even reiterate it. And I was thinking about that, like why does God say it three different times and the people say it back to him? Why do you think? It's a big deal. It's a big deal? <laughs> and there's going to be a need to be strong and courageous. There certainly will be a need to be strong and courageous. From a human perspective, maybe Joshua was a little bit overwhelmed and intimidated. Mm-hmm. Have you ever felt like God's like maybe putting something on your heart or your mind to do something? Think, oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's a little outside my comfort zone. You know, and I, sometimes, honestly, if you've had moments with God where he says, this is my assignment for you, it should feel bigger than you. Because if it's not bigger than you, it's, not, it's probably not of God. Like he calls us to things bigger than us so that we'll have to trust him. And so maybe God's like, look, you're going to need this reassurance. So I'm going to tell you, people around you are going to tell you. I, I love the fact that the people, and we'll read about it in verse 18, they never told Joshua, look, this is a big deal. Are you sure you're up for this? <laughs> they, they, they never looked at him and said, look, don't fumble the ball. Don't screw this up. Like, we got a good thing going here now. Just They didn't say any of that. There was no warning. There was no, like, hey. It was just all encouragement. Like, we're with you in this. Just You just lead. That There's something he said for that. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn to it from the right, uh, to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. The expression to the right or to the left is the expression, what God's telling him is that there's no deviation from my law that's permitted. There's no deviation. If you're going to obey, you're going to obey it. There's no deviation. Verse 8, do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is the theme of the book of Joshua. And, 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 and the, the writer continually reiterates that God blesses his people as they obey him. Now, the interesting phrase for me in this is 
Um, do not let the book of the law depart, depart from your mouth. That little phrase right there. Or from your lips. There was a custom back in ancient times of um, muttering God's word. Muttering is a real word. And muttering means literally almost an imperceptible speaking to oneself with the lips moving very slightly. That's muttering. Like it's not, it's not thought, it's actual like speaking, but it's so soft it's almost imperceptible. And you can just tell my lips moving just a little bit. Um, and that's what this is talking about. Like, like we should always be muttering God's word. Um, because when one continuously mutters God's word to themselves, they're constantly thinking about it. That's what he's saying. Last year, we were out at the football field. And I was coaching, and I, I got a text from someone about something that I needed to be praying for. Um, and, and it was just one of those things, that, and I'm glad this verse is in there because it makes me feel better about myself. It was one of those things I saw this, and, I, and all the football stuff's going on around me, and it's like I just blanked out. And I, I knew I was praying, and I knew that I was what they would call muttering. So much so, one of the coaches came over to me and kind of nudged me. He said, hey, Carl, you, you all right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. And he actually said, he goes, is that one of those praying things you were doing? <laughs> I was like, well, kind of. But, but that, that's what this means. Like, don't let it depart from your mouth. Meditate on it. That constantly throughout the day, we're muttering God's word more than just thinking about it. We're reciting it. We're thinking about it. Start, start trying to do this. When you, when you see numbers, whether it's on a license plate or you look at the time or, or phone number, whatever. <laughs> this, start, start trying to attach those numbers to verses that you have memorized in the Bible. Every time I see the number 33, you know what I think of? Jeremiah. Matthew 6, 33. Mm. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, all this stuff will be added to you as well. Mm. Whenever I see the number 30, uh, 37, you know what I think of? Of course you don't. That's my thought. <laughs> Lester Hayes for the rich. No, uh, no. <laughs> Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 20, or number 23, you know what I think of? I just said it. Psalm 23. <laughs> like, like start seeing, like this is, a, this is a biblical world where you start seeing God, you start seeing his word in things. There's info around us all over the place. Start attaching those to God's word. Mutter those to yourself. And all of a sudden, like you, it feels like you're always in his presence at times. And so this is what he's telling Joshua, like mutter it over and over and over. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Here's what we need to understand, that obedience to certain parts only is no obedience at all. That's what God's telling them. Uh, and, and it's what the New Testament will reiterate. Um, that if we break any part of the if we live by the law, we break any part of the law, we've broken the whole law. So obedience to certain parts of the law... And not other parts 
shows respect for the law, but not for the lawgiver. It's kind of what I was talking about on Sunday. You know, the whole tithe thing. Now, there's a lot of Christians that love Jesus and are super obedient, except in the tithe. And, and, and we have to decide, are we going to be, are we going to have respect for the law? Or are we going to have respect for the lawgiver? If we have respect for the lawgiver, then there's a lot of things that we, all of us, myself included, all of us have got to get right, right? And can we think, quit thinking that we're walking so in line with God when, when we, we choose to be disobedient to part of the law, then it's not very respectful to the lawgiver. And that's what he's telling Joshua. Uh, verses 10 and 11. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you for your own. Get your supplies ready. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to come back to this. I'm going to come back to verses 10 and 11 in a minute. So I don't want to say too much about it. I'm going to come back to it. There's there's something I there's something I want to there's something I want to get to. So just put 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 a pin in that for a minute. I'll come back. It's really important. Let's shift down to verse twelve. But to the Reubenites and the Gadites, uh, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, "Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you." And then he says it: "The Lord your God has given you rest and has granted you this land." That that's what happened. Way back when, okay? Your wives, your children, your livestock may stay in the, in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Now, uh, they answered, well, I'll get to that in a minute. So Joshua is saying, remember when this thing happened to the uh, Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Do any of you have any recollection of what he's talking about right there? It's not a very well-known story in the Bible. Go back to Numbers 32. If you go way back, Numbers 32. The Reubenites and Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the lands of Jazir and Gilead were suitable for livestock. So this is before they get in, before they cross the Jordan or before they get in the Promised Land. They say, you know, we haven't made the journey fully, but where we are is not bad. It's been a long 40 years. Where we are is not bad. So they came to Moses and Eleazar, the priest, and to the leaders of the community and said, Adaroth, Dibon, all these stuff, blah, blah, blah. The land the Lord subdued before the people. They're suitable for livestock, and your servants have livestock. If we found favor in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. They thought, you know, where I am is good enough. I know that God has called me into something better, something greater. I, I, I know I haven't gone all the way with him, but where I am, I'm comfortable with. Would he probably want something more, want me to keep pressing, want me to keep doing? Maybe, but where I am, 
I'm good. Moses said to the guests and Reubenites, shall your countrymen go to war while you sit here? Like, really? Why do you discourage the Israelites from going over into the land the Lord's given them? And so the story goes on. And he says, fine, whatever. You want to sell yourself short? You can stay in this land. Just help us fight. Then you can come back to your own place. Um, have you ever realized that you're in danger of settling for second best? I don't know if that's something we realize on the front end. I think if we realize we're settling for second best on the front end, we probably wouldn't settle. I think it's one of those things that maybe we look back and say, I wonder why I didn't press in more. I wish I would have just... And they stopped short. And so here Joshua tells me, hey, remember when Moses cut you that deal? Y'all can stay here, leave your kids here, leave your wives here, whatever. But you got to help us fight. He said, you can't rest till we all rest. You may sacrifice an inheritance, but you still got to put in the work. Uh, and, and, and I'm not going to let you rest till all of us rest and actually do what God's asked us to do. Um, so just, just, just be on notice. Where you be might be good. But if it's not all God has called you to, it's not. <clears throat> Don't settle for comfortable, right? You've heard that old adage that good is the enemy of the best. best. Yeah, keep pressing. 16, 17, 18 of Joshua 1. Then they answered Joshua, whatever you've commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against you and, and uh, rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them will be put to death. You just be strong and courageous. At least they got great attitudes. <laughs> and I love it. They're like, hey, you just be strong and courageous. If they disobey you, you want to take them out? No problem. I mean, these are the guys that are like, look, we'll take a bullet for you. Huh, what's more, we'll give a bullet for you. <laughs> you know, you just be strong and courageous. There's something to be said about leading people who say, we'll take a bullet, we'll give a bullet, you just lead. You know, you're a boss at work. You just, you just want your, your people to, look, you just lead us. Just, we'll go, we'll, we'll do it. You just lead us. Same thing in the family, same thing at same thing at church. It just So let me go back up to verse eleven. And this is where I wanted to end. I'm not sure if I was going to get there tonight, but I'm going to. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people. Verse 11, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you for your own. Go get your supplies ready. They're going to cross the Jordan and go in the promised land. Go get your supplies ready. What are the supplies? Everything, Everything they own. Everything. 
So, clothes, shelter, food. Let's talk about food for a minute. What food do you think they were getting ready to take with them? What's that? Probably wasn't manna. Probably wasn't? No. Cows. Cows, cattle. Go to Joshua chapter 5. Go down to verse 12. Someone read it out loud. There it was. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. They were was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land, the promised land that they had crossed into. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. How long did God give them manna? 40 years. Until they got into the promised land. I don't know if any of you realize that. He continually fed them manna until they got into the promised land and ate the food of the promised land. So when he says, go get your supplies ready, one of the things he's talking about is manna. Now, stay with me here. What did it take for them to get into the promised land? Cross the Jordan, right? They had to cross the Jordan. What was significant about them crossing the Jordan? To get into the promised land, but... It was in flood stage? There, yeah, no, say it with, as, as if it's not a question. It was in the flood stage. It was in flood stage. Oh. So read Joshua 3.15. I love how the Bible tells us about itself. Joshua 3.15. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the... Harvest. Now, don't follow me now. God's giving them manna. That manna will stop the moment they get into the promised land. They walk up to the Jordan, and the Jordan is at flood stage. Overflowing its banks. Why is it at flood stage? Because it's harvest time. What do you think the people, we've talked about this before, what do you think the people are thinking as they walk up to the Jordan knowing we got to cross this thing to get into that thing? What do you think they're thinking? Heck no. Hold your breath and run. Hold your breath and run. No way. Swim. Swim. I mean, just put yourself in that position. Okay, so God took us out of Egypt, made us walk around for 40 years, had plenty of time. To get us to the river when it wasn't flood stage. Why is he doing it? Have you ever asked you a question? Why is God making it so hard? He's probably trying to make them trust in him that they can get across. Maybe. Well, I certainly want, yeah, I think that's certainly part of it. I want you to see what I can do. Absolutely. But, but certainly, I mean, we've all asked that question. God, why is this so difficult? Why have you made it so hard? Why does it seem as though this is impossible right now? This is so far beyond me. I'm at my wit's end. I got no resources to get done what you want. I can't walk into there because I'm stuck here. Right? Mm -hmm. So why did he make it so hard? 
because just simply so they would trust him? Was he just trying to show off and show what he could do by stopping the water? Now, let's not forget about what we just read. When did the manna stop? After they crossed. After they got into the promised land. There was no food, there was no food, manna food on the other side of the river. So God took them to the river, not because, not just because he wanted to get them there when it was flood stage, so they would trust him. He wanted to get them into the promised land. It wasn't about the river, it was about the promise. He wanted to get them into the, it wasn't about the river, it was about the promise. He wanted to get them into the promised land during harvest time. Why? Because the manna was going to stop. They'd have no food. Had God got them across the river when it was narrow and little, they would have walked into the land, manna stopped, no food. So not only was God putting them in a position where you have to trust me, he was also positioning them for their future. He was walking them into abundance. See, what they looked at as a problem and a difficulty God says, this is the pathway to your provision. I know what I'm doing. I know when your supply is going to run out. And if you don't trust me to go through this difficulty right now, you're never going to walk into your future. You're never going to walk into your abundance. See, most of the time when we walk up to that river, we think, oh, no. Time out. Time out. Time out. God, get the prayer team together, please. Because this is in. And God says, look, it's not about the river. It's about the promise. You'll never know the promise if you don't go through the river. I didn't create an overflowing river for you to be scared. I've created a promise. The river is the sign that the promise has come upon you. The overflowing river was the sign that was harvest time. See, what's the Bible say about rivers and harvests, floods and harvests? The Bible, think about it. What's the Bible say about floods and harvests? The Bible says God is with us in the floods, but God is the God of the harvest. He's with us in the flood. Why? Because he's the God of the harvest. And he might have us walk up on a flood. But don't worry, he's with us in it. Because he's the God of the harvest that he's getting ready to deliver us into. And so perhaps we gain a new perspective when we face floods and difficulties. Because perhaps they're the setups for future and abundance either in this life or the next. But the sign of the flood is the promise of the harvest. Do you understand? I know I've preached on that a lot of times. This time I wanted to do something a little different and say maybe the flood was a good thing, the overflowing base was a good thing because it meant there's a harvest on the other side. You know when these guys stopped short because it was good enough? You stop short of good enough, you miss a harvest. 
Good? Shouts, cries, shouts of outrage. Let's eat. Let's eat. <laughs> Let's eat. <laughs>